You're listening to the Well Women Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's cycle health educator. Together, we're normalizing periods, cracking open real body talk, and femme rising the future. I'm here to remind you that your body is amazing. You can achieve balance, and body confidence all begins with your menstrual cycle. Get ready, beautiful. You're about to learn how to confidently reconnect with your body and discover your unique flow. This is episode 63. Boy, oh boy, you are in for a treat today with this episode. I'm joined by Lauren Curtin today, and she's a women's health-focused acupuncturist and herbalist. She centers her entire practice around supporting women navigate their hormones, menstrual cycles, and fertility by using acupuncture, herbal medicine, diet, and lifestyle support. So as you can imagine, Lauren and I have a lot in common, and we talk about a lot of great topics in this podcast episode. Now, Lauren believes that every woman has the right to know her body, how it works, what she can do personally to optimize not only her reproductive health, but her entire health for her body. She's seen firsthand dramatic improvements and how they can be made through the reproductive system by simple, inexpensive, non-invasive techniques. And we're going to be talking a lot about these today in the show. In this episode, we chat about how acupuncture supports the yin and yang of your menstrual cycle. We talk a lot about cervical fluid, what type of cervical fluid looks like when it's healthy throughout your menstrual cycle. Do I even have thrush? (laughs) We talk about contraceptive planning, coming off the pill, what even the contraceptive pill is, how it changes your body. And we also talk about the different ways that your lifestyle impacts your fertility and how you can optimize your fertility if you're planning conception in the future, be that either next month, in next the next year, or in the next two or three years. You can get started today and I can't wait to share it with you. Before we jump into it, I have to interrupt this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by the Well Women Academy. Well Women Academy is a weekly membership where together we study menstrual cycles, holistic health, and how to reconnect with your body. Every month, our Well Women access members-only, self-paced educational content across a wide range of formats, including written, video, audio, and guided home study. Led by myself and other pioneering guest teachers, together we cover fields of ancestral health, Ayurveda, sexuality, sensuality, holistic health, and lots more. This is your chance to join an international supportive community of women to discover your cycle, your body, ignite your inner intuition, and illuminate your life. It's like no other in the world. Not to mention, it's cheaper than your daily coffee fix. Learn more and join us at wellsome.com forward slash academy. That's W-E-L-L-S-O-M-E dot com forward slash academy. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I feel like I say that at the beginning of every podcast episode because we always talk about such different topics in every episode. But this topic specifically around preconception planning, and you are a fertility expert, I might say, is I'm really excited about. So before we jump into it, tell us what what day of your cycle you're on and what are you checking in with today? So I'm actually on day three of my cycle. So I have my period today and... What am I checking in with? I think I'm checking in with slowness. So I love to live as much as I can according to my cycle. And during my period is definitely a time of slowing down and just being more inwards, like checking in with myself, like making more time to have a journal sesh and doing some gentle stretching. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on on day three. Amazing. That's what I love to focus on as well. And you said that you like to kind of live in tune with your cycle and that's something that we definitely talk about a lot on this episode. How did you get to the journey of living in tune with your cycle? Because I've already shared that you're an acupuncturist and a herbalist and that's how you kind of focus in on women's health. But how, tell us a little bit about your personal experience and how this came about to you living in tune with your cycle. I think it's actually been a really gradual thing because for a lot of people, there may have been like one dramatic thing that happened that spurred them on to learning about their cycle and learning how to live in tune with their cycle. But for me, it's been like a very gradual chipping away, just like learning what I can. So I started studying when I was actually a teenager. I was 18 when I started my course. So because it's been a few years now, it's always kind of been how I've been growing up. Um, 
And it makes sense to me. Like when I started learning about tuning into your cycle, so like reading books and a lot of it is very instinctive. So when I started learning about it, I was like, yeah, that makes total sense. I wasn't like, wow, this is crazy. I was like, oh yeah, that makes 100% sense to me. And when I think for me, when I read something like that and it's like a truth, it just like lands and I'm like, yes. And then I want to learn more about it. So it's just been a gradual thing, just like chipping away. And when I learn something new along the way over the years about how you can tune in with your cycle more, I've been like, okay, how can I actually bring this into my life practically? Because it's great to read about and think about, but the big thing is actually putting it into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think studying Chinese medicine really solidified it for me because we look at the cycle or we look at everything in terms of yin and yang. So when we learned about the menstrual cycle, there's definitely that yin and yang component within the menstrual cycle as well. And when we learn in our Chinese medicine course, we learn how we can strengthen up our yin and how we can strengthen our yang. And with our menstrual cycle, that's like the optimal time that we can be doing that. So learning and studying Chinese medicine was definitely a big propeller for me to dive more into it. I think that's a beautiful journey. And especially the fact that you mentioned yin and yang, a lot of people don't realize that you have two opposites, like, like full moon, new moon, you have sunlight um, and then dark light, you could call it. Yeah. We also have those internally. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Let's talk about the yin and yang of Chinese medicine, but then how that links to acupuncture, because I'm sure like me, when I, before I, I go to an acupuncturist regularly now. Love Kerry here locally on the coast and Jess. But for people that have never been needled before, it can be kind of a scary experience or have a bit of fear around it because it's not like getting your blood taken with an actual needle. So how does acupuncture and Chinese medicine kind of work together? Just to explain that for people who have no idea. And then with acupuncture, how does that support the yin and the yang of a menstrual cycle? Awesome questions. So um, in terms of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, so Chinese medicine is like the umbrella term Mm -hmm. and then acupuncture is a modality that falls within that. So within Chinese medicine, we've got acupuncture, we've got herbal medicine, we've got manual therapies like massage and cupping and gua sha. And then we also have our diet and lifestyle advice. So acupuncture is just like one of the tools that we have within Chinese medicine. Um, and it's probably the thing people are most familiar with. I think when we say Chinese medicine, people think acupuncture a lot. Um, but I love acupuncture because it works with your body. Like it works with what you've got. So when we're doing acupuncture, we're not adding anything to the body or taking anything away. We're regulating what's already there. And that's where I really see acupuncture differing from like herbal medicine because with herbs, we're actually introducing a substance into the body that's having an effect on our biochemistry. Whereas acupuncture, it's working with what we've got. So I see it more of like a regulatory therapy to the body. And we're always trying to get back to homeostasis with Chinese medicine. So that's always one of our goals. So whenever we see, whenever a sign or a symptom arises, it's a sign that the body is out of balance. Because ideally, when we're in balance, no signs or symptoms are arising and we're in a good state of health. So if something is coming up, we're like, okay, the body is out of whack. How do we get ourselves back into homeostasis? And I see acupuncture as having a real strength there because it's helping to regulate what's going on internally in the body. I love that. And it's something, if you've never had acupuncture before, it's this thing that, I don't even know how to explain it. Like you get the needle, the needle goes in and you can't really feel it, but then it feels so different at the same time. Yes, totally. People feel so many different things with acupuncture. Like sometimes I always tell people like either expect like a dull heaviness or even like a tingling. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people will feel sometimes even like a vibration at a point. But a lot of the time people will actually feel a sensation or stimulation where there isn't a point. So I may have needled a point that's along, say, the spleen channel, and they may feel another spleen point along the same channel where I haven't needled, but it's activating that whole channel. 
So they'll be like, is there a point near my knee? And I'll say, no, they're like, I feel like there's a point there. So it's working with the points that we've stimulated, but then also the whole body. So yeah, you can feel all sorts of sensations with acupuncture. Mm, you definitely can. All right, well, let's switch gears and let's talk about fertility and challenges with fertility. I know in my age bracket, so I'm 33, and a lot of my friends over the last five years and currently have been either trying to conceive or have conceived and now have children. And it's kind of an age bracket where you really notice a big focus on fertility. Mm -hmm. But it also, when I hit around the age of 26, 27, I personally noticed there was a lot of women with a lot of fertility, fertility challenges. What are the top, first question is, what are the top fertility challenges that women face? And then we'll move into the whole coming off contraception and then preconception planning. So that's a huge question because there's so many things that can impact fertility. I think for me in clinical practice, what I see a lot is difficulties with ovulation. So I see a lot of women either, first of all, not knowing when they're ovulating. So not, not understanding their cycle, not knowing when they're fertile and when they're not. Um, and a lot of women can have issues struggling to ovulate as well. So that could either be amenorrhea or it could be having really long cycles. And if you're having longer cycles, that would mean that you're ovulating later or you may not be ovulating at all because we can get bleeds without having ovulated. So that can kind of be like amenorrhea or even with PCOS as well. And I see a lot of women with endo struggling with fertility as well. And that could be due to scar tissue. That could be due to tubal blockages or it could purely be due to, from a Chinese medicine perspective, having so much heat and inflammation in the system that it's actually interfering with implantation. So kind of see everything in the clinic. And it goes to show that, and the reason why I asked this question, and then it goes to show that there is never just one reason. Oh my God, totally. Because a lot of women I do find that like, oh, I'm having fertility challenges because of this reason. And that I asked that question to show that there is many contributing factors. It's never just one. And every cycle is literally different. So you really, that whole, like we spoke about earlier, like getting to know your body through living in tune with your, your cycle and applying bits and pieces into practice over a period of time, rather than thinking, I'm going to do all 50 of these things right now. Um, you just go a little bit crazy about it. But tell us about, there's a big movement right now, I feel. There's a lot of books coming out about coming off the pill and books about IUDs and a lot of changes in, I guess you could say family planning, but also contraceptions. And so have you noticed in your own clinic a lot of shift with this and women wanting to come off contraceptions? Uh, absolutely. So mm -hmm. I think, I feel like in 2018, that was a really big shift. And I saw like an avalanche of women coming in being like, I want to come off the pill, not necessarily wanting to fall pregnant, but they had been researching, they're learning more about the pill and some effects it can have on the body. And also a lot of women just being like, I don't really want to be taking a hormone. I don't want to be taking hormones. I just want to have my own natural cycle. I'm like, great, because we can do this. Like we can work with that. But I've 100% seen a massive change and a lot of women are just getting more education and wanting to actually have their natural cycle. It's very empowering. It's great. I love it. So for those who are on the pill, because I, my story, Lauren, and a lot of women who are listening to this know this already, I was on the pill for 12 years. I had no freaking idea at the time when I started taking the pill. I was young. I was 16. I had no idea even what the pill really was. And I'm sure there's some women um, listening to this who are maybe in a similar situation that I once was. So can you just give a brief example of like, or run through about what the pill is and what it does? Totally. So basically because it is a contraceptive, it's preventing ovulation. So that's one of the actions that it works through because in order for us to have our natural menstrual cycle, we need to have two distinct phases. We need to have our follicular phase before ovulation. We need to ovulate and then we'll have our luteal phase and then we'll have our period. And that cycle will just continually keep flowing around. So by means of preventing fertility, the pill shuts down ovulation. So it 
impacts the communication between the brain and the ovaries. And it also has other effects on fertility, like uh, affecting the way the cervical crypts work in the cervix, which is what produces cervical fluid. So it actually changes the structure of the cervical crypts so we don't produce cervical fluid. Mm -hmm. And it also thins the uterine lining. And that's one of the other ways that it will prevent fertility as well or prevent implantation. Um, but a lot of women don't know that because when they come off the pill, a lot of the times they're expecting their period to return. And for some women, depending on how long they've been on the pill, their fertility may not resume for a while. And I've seen many women, it's taken up to a year for their first ovulation to kick back in again. Yeah. <laughs> I just put my hand up being, yep, that was me. I was about nine months. I had a bit of spotting around like the seventh month mark. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it took a long time and I literally felt like there was an alien inside my body. <laughs> yeah. And it's really confusing because for a lot of women, they're like, what the hell? Like I didn't know there was going to be this issue in coming off the pill potentially. And I mean, for some women, there isn't. They will stop the pill and they'll ovulate right on time and mm. not be regular. And that's awesome. But I see a lot of women where that's not the case or maybe their ovulation does return, but their lining's really thin. So if they're wanting to stop the pill to then try to conceive, they may be ovulating, but maybe they're not producing cervical fluid in the right quantities or at the right time or the right consistency, which is essential for fertility. Or maybe their lining is really, really thin and that will impact implantation. So there's all of these different varying factors that are so key and essential for our fertility that can be impacted on the pill. And I think the more women that know this well in advance before they want to stop the pill, the better, because I see a lot of women that are like, okay, I've stopped the pill and I've started trying to conceive the very next month and they may not ovulate for a while. And that absolutely impacts their their conception plans. So I think a lot of women go into this uh, a bit blindsided. Mm, you're, I've seen this a lot with, with friends and also some of the women that I've worked with. It's heartbreaking as well, because when you don't get your period, it's like, what's wrong with my body? Like I'm a woman, I'm meant to menstruate. Most women come off the contraception pill or like any kind of contraception to get their period or to have a healthy cycle. And then that doesn't happen and they feel like they're not feminine or they don't have this womanly connection with their body. And then it just mentally and emotionally just creates this big spiral. But I want to ask you about, you mentioned about cervical fluid and how it's essential to fertility. Can you explain why is cervical fluid essential for fertility? Because I know that there's probably a lot of women thinking, but you know, isn't that just like, stuff that you don't really need yeah a lot of people think it's thrush <laughs> a lot of women when they see cervical fluid they're like oh is that bad or should that not be there um and i think that a lot of the time as well if a woman has been on the pill when she comes off she may be surprised by the cervical fluid because on the pill we don't make the same type of fluid that we release with ovulation when we're on the pill because we're not ovulating mm. so it's very common on the pill to either be seeing no fluid at all or for it to be just like a bit thicker and a bit more opaque. Um, but the cervical fluid is like the juice. That is what we need for fertility because the cervical fluid helps to change the pH of the vagina. So the vagina is quite acidic and sperm need a bit more of an alkaline environment to survive and to make the passage through to the cervix. Um, so the cervical fluid is more alkaline and it actually helps to protect the sperm. And under a microscope, it actually looks like little swimming lanes, like little channels, whereas non-peak cervical fluid is more like cross-hatching and it's not very easy for the sperm to get through. But when we have the peak type cervical fluid that's released prior to ovulation with our estrogen spike, that that's, um, cervical fluid actually guides the sperm and like grabs them and pulls them in and makes a super highway through to the cervix. And then the sperm can do their job. And a lot of the time, the sperm actually hide out in the cervical crypts, which are just like these little microscopic glands inside the cervix and they recuperate and they like take a breather from their 
journey. A massive journey in it. <laughs> um, and they can hang out there for like up to 20 hours and then they will continue on their way. And there's also research that the different proteins in the cervical fluid actually help to change the structure of the sperm so that they're more able to fertilize an egg, which is very cool. Mm. So the cervical fluid is key. I've seen a lot of women that have been ovulating regularly and having regular cycles and everything's looking pretty good, but the cervical fluid's not there. And once we get the cervical fluid going and getting it into an optimal consistency and at the right time in the cycle, that can sometimes be the game changer for their fertility. So we always want to make sure that it's in, good, in a good quality. And it's a game changer in the sense that not many people think about their cervical fluid like that. Yeah. Because, yeah. sorry, keep going. Oh, I was just going to say, and just learning to observe it because that will help you to know when you're fertile and when you're not. Mm, mm. It's, I like to think about it like studying your shit. Yeah. And my partner always jokes about this when he calls, he's like, oh, um, like in the middle of the workday, so have you studied your shit today? <laughs> what does your shit look like? But it's the same for the fluid that comes out of us. A lot of the times when things leave our body, it's considered as waste, like snot, dry skin, um, brushing, leaving the body, tongue scraping, pooing, weighing. It's kind of like, get, or even earwax, like getting it out. Whereas cerv cervical fluid, it's coming out of you, but it's not necessarily waste. So I'm loving this topic, by the way. <laughs> I think, can you give us a run through of what the cervical fluid looks like in the four phases of the cycle? Everyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while knows already the four phases in tune, in tune with the seasons, also the medical terms. So for the four different phases, what is a healthy fertile cycles fluid going to look like and maybe feel like for those who are like, uh, what? <laughs> You definitely have to feel it because that is also how you learn a lot about your cervical fluid. So typically, just like a textbook look at the cycle in terms of the fluid is ideally once we've had our period, there'll typically be some dry days where we're not seeing anything at all in terms of fluid. And then as we start to approach ovulation, uh, estrogen is starting to rise. And it's during these days that we should start seeing a change in cervical fluid or an increase. So it'll either start becoming really slippery, really watery, and like if you, the classic like raw egg whites, like kind of stretchy and goopy, mm. you should be able to get it between your fingers and have it to maintain that stretch. Um, because it's got such a high water content, like it's 90% water. So it should be very slippery. And ideally it's clear as well. Um, and that'll really tell you that your estrogen is spiking and that like the gates are open and you're fertile. So any first, any fluid that we see before ovulation would be deemed fertile. So if you're trying to conceive, once your period has finished, if you start seeing any fluid, that's a sign that ovulation could be on its way. So after we ovulate, because our progesterone spikes and that's a very yang hormone in Chinese medicine, so it's very heating, that should dry up the cervical fluid and it'll change in consistency. So it'll either go away completely and women won't have any cervical fluid or any fluid at all for their luteal phase. Or um, women will have a bit more thicker fluid, like it might be a bit more creamy and a bit more like lotion-y type of consistency, and that's okay. Um, but from a Chinese medicine perspective, we want to pay attention to the amount because if it's very profuse like if you're seeing a lot of fluid or a lot of mucus in the luteal phase that could be a sign of dampness which is like a bacterial imbalance so we want to be paying attention to the amounts but for the luteal phase there's either nothing at all or there's just small amounts of water um, small amounts of creamy lotiony fluid and then sometimes before the period there'll be a re-emergence of that more higher water content fluid because the estrogen is changing as well. And sometimes when the progesterone drops, some people can get more of that estrogen type fluid again, but that's not fertile. Mm. And then we'll get our period again. And that's how we cycle. And I, um, it's very interesting when you get to know your cervical fluid, <clears throat> I'm on day 12 of my cycle today. And I, I am definitely like very open with everyone. Like I feel quite wet. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you, you will notice it and you'll feel it. And I always say that like when you wipe, when you go to the toilet, like look at the toilet paper, even when you shit, look at the toilet paper before you put it in the toilet. Totally. And look at it and study it. And it's the same with your men's. Like I like to encourage women to either use a pad to get to know their bleed or use a menstrual cup to be able to feel the bleed. So fill the cup up, pour it over your hand as you're emptying it in the shower or the toilet or the bathroom or the sink, wherever it is, I don't care, over the garden, that's what I do, Um, and feel it and then actually acknowledge and get to know it um, because it's something that you can form a really great relationship with. I do that too. I do the exact same thing. (laughs) See, guys, I'm not the only crazy one out there. No, I do it too. (laughs) All the stuff that really happens that people don't talk about or women don't talk about, I should say. But they're really great points around what a healthy cervical fluid would look like. What about, Lauren, the cervical fluid that we need to be aware of? Because I know that some women, they can have the whiteness consistency, like you were saying, like a lotion, but then it can kind of become a little bit clumpy Mm -hmm. or like a little bit chunky. Yeah. Um, So what is that a sign of? And then when do we know whether it's thrush or not thrush? Because women get quite confused about that. Totally. I see a lot of women being like, am I, do I have a yeast infection or is this normal cervical fluid? Mm. So typically if it's more kind of like that cottage cheesy consistency and it has a bit of an odor to it, that wouldn't be necessarily normal. And especially from my perspective through the Chinese medicine lens, that would be a sign that there's a bit of cold in the system or there's some dampness present. And that's usually reflected in an issue with the digestive system. So we always want to be focusing on that. And if, because like I've seen some women where they're like leaking cervical fluid, there's so much or mucus and it's like going through their undies, getting through their pants. And that would, that's very, that's a big amount of fluid. And I wouldn't deem that as necessarily normal. Um, So if you're seeing anything that's more chunky as more like, a yellowy or greeny tinge to it and it has a bit of an odor then that could be a sign that there's something going on that you can investigate um, but the good thing about paying attention to your cervical fluid is when you do it daily then you can see what your normal is mm. so when you see a change in that it's really obvious and it's yeah you just can't ignore it whereas if you're not really paying attention and then you see something one day you might be like was that always there or is that what it should be like? And it's kind of confusing. Whereas if you develop this relationship with it, you can be like, that's not normal. That's not my normal. If you see something and you just know your body better and you know when to investigate things. Mm-hmm. I always notice, particularly because I've been tracking my cycle for a few years now and on a written tracker, so I can lay them all out in front of me and have a look at them and go, wow, okay, this, this, like all like today's day 12. So I could look at day 12 of my cycle over a few, many cycles actually. But I notice when I travel and I've like already there's podcast episodes I've already recorded about your menstrual cycle and traveling. I notice when I do long haul flying and ain't no one flying right now long haul (laughs) around the world with everything that's going on. But I do notice how my cervical fluid changes because I may be stuck in the same clothes. Mm -hmm. I'm not having like flying to America 14 hours. That's just the flight time. That doesn't include the travel time, getting to the airport, waiting for the flight arriving customs and getting to wherever your next destination is mm-hmm. it can you know you might not shower for 24 hours and you might be stuck in the same clothes for 24 hours unless you're in business class and you get a beautiful robe <laughs> and slippers that would be nice <laughs> unless you're like oh your cattle class like me but <laughs> i definitely notice a shift and change and i'm so glad that you just reiterated the importance of getting to know your body and understanding your body's method and routine throughout your cycle with your fluid is such a great point. So thank you for sharing. So let's just move into contraception, finishing post pill and then planning fertility. So if women are listening to this and they're coming to listen to this because they want to learn more about fertility and how can I have an optimal, um, let's just say, conception experience what are some things they could do to plan and prepare for preconception i would start planning whilst you're still on the pill so Mm -hmm. i would start to get a plan in place and be like okay 
if you're thinking of trying to conceive, knowing that it could take potentially up to a year for your first ovulation to kick back into gear. So obviously that's not the ideal, but it does happen to a lot of women. So let's just put that on the table and being like, okay, that's a potential possibility. So saying if you're wanting to conceive in 2021, you need to start thinking about it at least 12 months in advance so that you give your body that time to actually come off the pill and have a, like a get ovulation back into gear, ideally, and have a few menstrual cycles so that your body is getting those exposures again to your natural progesterone and your natural estrogen and that you're making these hormones in the right amounts. Because just because you're ovulating once you come off the pill, it doesn't necessarily mean that these hormones are in balance and we really need to be making good amounts of each hormone for optimal fertility. So I see in my experience, women that give themselves as much time as they can, obviously everyone's situation and circumstances are different, but ideally as much um, time in advance that you can give yourself the better because you're preparing for any of those variables that could pop up. Um, and, you know, with the whole production of, uh, the maturation of egg and sperm, we give that the three month window. So we definitely want to give at least three months off the pill before we start actively trying. And also from the perspective of nutrient deficiencies, because the pill can interfere with how we absorb our nutrients. Mm, that's a and really big one. Oh, it's massive. Cause especially after long-term use, we definitely don't want to enter a pregnancy in a deficient state because being pregnant and growing a human is only going to deplete our nutrient stores more. And what is it like if we go into that already deficient? That's not going to be good for mum or for bubs. Mm. And lots of women don't even realise that they're pregnant straight away. Exactly. Like it takes, some, some women it can take five or six weeks. Yep. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And then if you get to that stage and you find out, you're like, oh, I may be in the best position uh, like nutrient-wise and we know like the really common ones like folate is essential for the development of bubs. And we know that the pill does deplete our folate levels. So if we come off the pill and our nutrient stores are deficient, it's just not putting us in the best state we could be going into a pregnancy. Mm. And it's not also like obviously pregnancy and growing a baby is a really important part, but then it's also giving birth and then postpartum because <laughs> growing a baby and then giving birth is a really big task for a body. And most women are deficient after a birth. So we want to try and go into that as topped up as we can so that we have a smooth pregnancy, we have a smooth birth, we have a smooth postpartum, and then also breastfeeding. Like I always think of it like long-term, like we need to look at this, mm -hmm. you know, a few years um, and take into account the whole, everything that your body is about to go through and why not go into it as like topped up as you possibly could be. And for that to happen, you need to give yourself some time off the pill before you actually start trying to replenish all of these stores, get ovulation back into gear and get those hormones into balance. And obviously we're just talking about the female side. Obviously there's the male component as there well. There is a male component, yes. They need to be doing things as well because their sperm quality is equally as important for how if a pregnancy is viable and what your fertility is like. So... I feel like we need to do a whole podcast episode on a male's, I shouldn't say the male, but the sperm health for pregnancy and fertility. Yes. Um, I've had some close friends who have, you know, been trying to conceive with their partner's husbands for over a year. The woman is doing all the stuff, going, getting blood tested regularly, seeing an acupuncturist, getting acupuncture, you know, tracking their cycle, like having sex at the right time. And it's just not working and having the, the male contributor not being fully supportive in the sense of them being able to prepare, but it takes two to tango. And yeah. you were saying before about, you know, you need to build up your stores. I have, I use lots of crazy analogies, Lauren, but the way I think about it is like traveling. You don't just go, all right, I'm going to go traveling today and off you go and fly across the world without setting aside some time planning in the sense of saving money, putting money aside, having a travel kitty, 
you don't just do that willy nilly and pregnancy is much the same. You can't, <laughs> unless it's an accident, which happens. Yeah. And if it does, congratulations, your cycle's obviously quite good. Yeah. But, um, and I know I sometimes I think about my mum. I'm the oldest of four. We were all accidents. And I was like, seriously, excuse my language, but how the fuck does that happen? Because people don't have accidents these days as much as they I used know. to. I'm always amazed. I'm like, great. <laughs> it can still I happen. I know. <laughs> so it can still happen. And if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about um, the nutrients that would support coming off the pill, I actually podcast episode number 46 I talk about my experience and some like important nutrients so we don't go off on a tangent on that. And then we also had Mia Robinson, who is a naturopath, episode 53, I think it is, um, also talk about that too. So you can listen to those to learn more about specifically for nutrients and why those specific nutrients are important for your body. Um, but something I would also like to, to talk about, Lauren, and ask is when it comes to planning pregnancy, what are some other lifestyle factors? Um, I would love to explore because a lot of people don't realize how much your lifestyle impacts your preconception planning. Absolutely. My brain is just like exploding of all of the things that it <laughs> all of the things. So if we break it down, I always like to think of it in really simple terms and being like, okay, with a pregnancy, what's happening is an egg and a sperm is coming together and that's creating a human. And at the end of the day, these are just two cells. So if we think, if we're thinking of our own personal, um, our own personal experience or ways that we can improve our fertility, we can be like, okay, we're really enhancing our cellular function. So if we think of that, it's like, okay, what impacts the health of our egg cells? And that's, everything so that's our diet what nutrients we're getting in because the way that we eat is either going to be nourishing our eggs and our reproductive system or it's not or it's going to be causing inflammation and causing free radical damage which we know compromises egg quality so we definitely need to be looking at diet and making sure that it's as nutrient dense as it can possibly be and then also things like in terms of lifestyle factors it's like, you know, radiation because EMFs have been shown to have impacts on our mitochondrial function. And where do we have the most amount of mitochondria in our bodies? Our egg cells, like by a long shot. So we need to be thinking about that. And things like pollution and even like personal care products because, I mean, if we're not using like natural organic products, it's likely that there's going to be some synthetic chemicals in there. And a lot of these chemicals, are, uh, they disrupt the way the endocrine system works. And a lot of them have impacts on egg quality. So anything that we're putting into our mouth and anything that we're putting on our skin has the potential to impact the way our hormones function and the way our eggs actually mature and develop and the quality of them. And the same thing goes for plastics. Like plastics is a huge one for egg quality. Like there's so much research on how things like BPA and phthalates can impact the way our eggs develop and then the quality of them and the likelihood of a healthy pregnancy. And these are easy things. And I think it's encouraging that so many things can impact our fertility because that means we have so many things that we have a say over that we can control because we don't have to be using plastic water bottles. Most of us can easily get a glass bottle or a stainless steel drink bottle and then you're done. So I, cause some people think it's overwhelming, like, okay, oh my God, all of these things can impact my, my fertility. It's like, yeah, it's great. You have all of these choices that you can make that can enhance it. Like it's not out of your control. You can have a say over what's going into your body, what's going onto your skin. And you have a big say over what your fertility is like. Cause a lot of the times it feels like, you know, it's happening to you or that it's out of your control and it's kind of overwhelming mm. and I totally understand that. But at the same time, there's heaps we can do to actually enhance all of these functions. You're spot on. And I talk a lot about this with one-on-one -on -one coaching clients that burgers don't just fly in your mouth. You place them there. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I don't know, there's a Simpsons episode where, you know, there's donuts flying yes. through the sky and he's like, hum, donut, <laughs> hum, you know, eating all the donuts. Is that, you know, no one's forcing anything down your throat. You know, you're not strapped to a chair or pinned to the floor and they're shoving it into your face or making you wear it on your skin. You, you have the control over that. You don't have control over the traffic lights and the weather but you do have control over what you put in and on your body. So I'm so thankful that you brought that up because there are so many little things you can do. And I think for people who do get overwhelmed, a good tip to start with is that just start with what you put in and on your body. Mm-hmm. Then look at what is in the kitchen and then look at what is in the bathroom and then look at how you clean the house and then look at like, all like expand it, but start here, like with yourself. Yeah. I think Otherwise, I, it just gets overwhelming, right? It gets overwhelming. And I also think it's not sustainable because I have, I've got like two types of patients. They'll either, I give them all of my recommendations from the get-go so they have all of the information. And I'm like, incorporate this at your own pace. So some of them are like overnight, done it all. And like star students, mm-hmm. sometimes that's not always sustainable. Sometimes it's like, okay, it's getting too overwhelming. I need to like bring it back to basics. And then my other patients will be like, okay, I'm going to pick a couple of things off this list and incorporate that and then a good handle on it and then pick the next thing and then the next thing. And I think that's a way more sustainable way to do it and a way more manageable way, just like mentally, just being like, okay, let's just focus on like two things this week, get that under control. And then next week we'll incorporate this. And like when a product runs out, like if your deodorant runs out and you've been using like generic, you know, but like a spray or something, and it's not the most, um, you know, hormonally supportive product. When that runs out, opt for a different one. So I, it's better to replace things once they run out rather than just chucking out what you've got and buying mm. new things. So just do it slowly and it still will have a good impact. There's no race to the finish because the finish line, uh, and this is not going to sound nice, but is death. Like don't rush it. Yeah. Yeah, little baby steps and enjoy the process rather than rushing for the result because then that's when you become stressed about it. And stress is a huge contributor as well. Oh, yes. Um, but along with all these, like I know there are women out there who are like, I drink out of stainless steel, I mm-hmm. make my own skincare, I buy only organic, I've been doing all the things, I move my body, I meditate, I get good sleep, I reduce stress at work. Like, and I still can't fall pregnant, but then I walk down the street and I see an unhealthy woman eating McDonald's mm-hmm. and then just accidentally fall pregnant. It's a big question I'm asked a lot is, well, why is it so easy for them to fall pregnant? Like they're unhealthy. They don't even do the right in inverted brackets, the right things for long-term health, mm-hmm. you know, to reduce free radical damage and mm-hmm. to allow yourself to be able to have healthy digestive system and process your emotions but them, they can just fall pregnant at the drop of a hat. What do you say to people who ask you that kind of question? Like, what's your response? I think about this all the time myself. (laughs) I think about it too. Uh, Yeah, I know. And it is super frustrating. Um, I mean, I do have theories um, because the immune system is a really big part of fertility as well. And that's what I'm seeing a lot is immunological infertility so where there's you know natural killer cells present or there are inflammatory chemicals or markers within the lining of the uterus that can impact implantation whereas if we think of someone that may have not the best health their immune system is likely to be compromised so maybe things are allowed to grow within their body you know, more easily. Like mm, that's just that's a, a theory. theory. No, it's good. It's a I theory, like but I think about that a lot just because I see a lot of issues with the immune system being overactive if affecting fertility. So I think, okay, well, maybe so if someone has lowered immunity, maybe that actually makes it easier for them. But that doesn't mean that egg quality is great and that doesn't mean that childhood outcomes are going to be fantastic and that's what we're really trying to focus on. Healthy children, yeah. Yeah, because health, a healthy mum and bubs is what we're aiming for. We're not just aiming for, you know, any pregnancy to just make it happen. Like we're aiming for health and we're aiming to avoid chronic disease. So 
you know, we're not necessarily looking for the easy way or the fastest way. We're looking for the healthiest way to, you know, reduce complications down the line. But I think it's it's hard. It's really frustrating for a lot of women. And I have this conversation with a lot of women in clinic being like, what the hell? Some people can just fall pregnant at the drop of the hat and I'm doing everything and it's not happening. And, you know, that's when we do look at sperm health as well, because if she is doing everything, maybe there's something going on there. And, you know, a part of the greater plan, we can't force a baby to happen. And mm. I think everyone has their you know, as corny as it sounds, they have their own journey and maybe things are meant to happen at a certain time in their life that isn't a part of their perceived schedule. And that's a really big one to get to accept and get your head around for a lot of women. But we don't know what the great plan is. Like we don't know what the bigger purpose of their life is. And I can't force a baby for anyone, but I can help to encourage optimal health and optimal health rolls out to your fertility. Mm. so it's a big one it's tricky I think there's no one answer for that there's many contributing factors the three things that I around this that I really feel um and this isn't to to a specific person but in general we can just stop comparing Mm -hmm. like don't judge yourself from someone else you don't know their story yeah even though you think you might know it you still probably don't know it Mm -hmm. But when I see and I get that question, one of the first things I think about is sometimes people who just eat kind of whatever they want to eat, they just move their body however they want to move, they just don't care whether they have money or don't have money or they go on a holiday or they don't go on a holiday, they just live without stress or as much stress. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have internal cell health stress, Mm -hmm. right? But in general, the stress in their environment is so much lower than someone being like, I didn't eat this much protein today and I got this many calories and holy shit, my blood, like I only bled for three days this cycle and normally I'm a four-day bleeder, is just reducing that stress. Sometimes I'm like, hey, maybe that's a contributing factor. Oh my God. I think you just like, (laughs) I totally agree because when we think of what a pregnancy is or what conception is, it's like the ultimate allowing, like you're allowing a oh, like surrender, like the whole process of conception, like, hello, you're surrendering, you know, whilst you're having sex, like it's a receptive thing that you're doing and you're creating this environment where a soul is going to grow in your body. Mm. Like that's huge. And then the whole process of allowing a being to be depleting your nutrients and kind of like sucking a bit of your life force whilst you're pregnant And then going through a birth, like this whole process is the biggest opening up, receiving and then surrendering. And then if we're holding onto everything so tightly and micromanaging every single tiny thing, that's the exact opposite of being receptive and allowing. And I know it's so hard to hear and it's so easy to say, but this is how we see it in Chinese medicine. Like the whole process of the cycle and falling pregnant is like the most yin thing you could do like it's the juice like it's the essence of life and if we're like very rigid and micro managing and analyzing everything it's just kind of taking a step away from that whole process so Mm. it's really good to be aware of these things like it's amazing to be aware of your cycle obviously i'm like a huge advocate for that and it's good to be aware of all these health things that we can do but at the same time we have to have that aspect of having that letting go and like having that surrender it's like the big dichotomy and knowing that maybe we don't know everything and that we have to just let go and have that space for things to unfold Mm, one of the big things that i i think we could just chat about this all day laura (laughs) i um one of the big things that i talk to a lot of my clients about is the feminine masculine balance that they have and when you're trying to plan everything so perfectly that's a very masculine trait. And in some essence of that, you could be rejecting the femininity, which is to receive and to surrender and allow. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said, it's easy to say it's harder to hear is if you can start to surrender and allow in your life. So surrendering into what the weather's like and surrendering into challenging conversations and surrender. Like if you practice these little elements in your life, 
throughout your day, it'll allow the bigger things to slowly become a surrender rather than a force. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we haven't even talked about sleep and how much sleep contributes. But the other one I was going to say, and we're nearly pretty much out of time. I don't want to keep you all day. <laughs> but the other one I was going to say is age. I feel I'm 33 and, I, and I'm yet to have children in, in, like right now. Whereas my mom had me, I'm the oldest, when she was 25. Mm. If you think back to age, a lot of women are having children in their 30s now versus what it used to be, say, two, three, four decades ago, even more decades ago, Mm. in their 20s. And then they even used to start late teens, like 18, 19, 20 And then you have like the early twenties and then the late twenties and then you have the thirties. And I feel that because we've like, excuse my language, but fuck, I'm opening up a big can of worms here um, in what I'm about to say, but because we've been living in such a patriarchy world, women have become a little bit patriarchy where they want to be the career driver. And I fall into that category too, you know, wanting to provide and serve Mm -hmm. is that, Oh yeah. You know, like, and I obviously haven't met someone that I'm yet to have children with, but it just gets put onto the back burner. Whereas when there wasn't Instagram and there wasn't Facebook and there wasn't socials and it was bricks and mortar house businesses and you just worked your nine to five and that was it. You had your weekends. People had less stress and they had children earlier in age. And so I think that's a, personally, I feel that it's a contributing factor that we're just having children at a later age, this current, I don't know what I was going to say decade, but this current time in, of, of life. Yeah. So yeah, rant over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I totally agree. And I think, you know, our most fertile time is when it's not socially as accepted to have babies because we're pressured to have the career under control and to have the finances sorted and to be providing for ourselves and that takes time to do and usually during those years when we are most fertile we're like no this has to wait for later Mm. so i think it's a tricky thing to balance and it depends what you do of course but i think there is that impact on us living more in that masculine way of doing and achieving and children are get like the priority of children to get pushed to later in life and it could be you know when people meet people like people may meet someone that they want to have kids with later in life. And that's just how it's happened. And that's just the way life goes sometimes. But I think it's, it's tricky. And I think like in terms of artificial or sorry, assisted reproductive techniques, like IVF and IUI and things like that, that gives people a false sense of security because they think, okay, if I have kids later in life, we can always just do IVF. And that's true, but it's not a guarantee because at the end of the day with something like IVF, that's bringing the egg and the sperm together. That's not changing the quality of the egg. It doesn't change the quality of the sperm and it doesn't change the uterine environment. Mm. I mean, some medications do if they're doing like an immune suppressor that changes, you know, inflammatory chemicals in the lining, but it doesn't, it's not a guarantee. And I see a lot of women falling into that trap of thinking, I'll just do IVF and it'll be fine. It's like, maybe, maybe not. Like nothing is a guarantee. So I just totally agree with what you said with um, when women are having children that it is now way later than historically. And it's usually Mm. out of when we're most fertile naturally. It's interesting too, being 33, like I'll be 34 this year and knowing that I would love to be a mother and experience my own pregnancies rather than just being a bonus mum is or potentially being a bonus mum is that I since coming off the pill have acted as if I was about to conceive the whole time so I'm consistently and this comes back to the whole prep um post can hang on post contraception planning for pre-contraception yeah. <laughs> tongue twister yes is that Every, I don't want to say it's a focus and I'm acting anal about it, but every day I'm doing the things for my cycle health that allow me so that when I, you know, have the relationship or meet the person that I'm going to have children with, or that time arises for me, that my body's in the healthiest position and, 
and um, is prepared for that. Because like yeah. you said, the moment that that egg and that sperm high five. It's a lot is already determined. That's from that moment, um, you know, that nutri- like that the health of the baby is somewhat begun. Yeah. And so I know that I can do my own part. And if that means taking a good quality, um, like pharmaceutically rated prenatal, which I do every day, um, making sure I'm getting good, healthy fats, making sure I've got good, healthy ovulation, which leads mm-hmm. to healthy menstruation. And it's a journey, like yep. consistently working on it and taking my basal body temperature in the morning, knowing, like getting to know my own cycle. So that not when I just meet someone, I was like, oh, shit, I've only got three or four, six months to work this out. Get to know it whilst you have the opportunity and get attached to the process of that rather than the attached to the, and I have some friends like this attached to the process of like, oh, I'm, I'm in my thirties and I've got no one to have kids with, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much you can do for yourself first and foremost. So Absolutely. that's my last two bobs on it. I love that. And that's exactly what I do too. Like, I don't know when I'm going to have babies. I would love to have kids someday, but it's not right now, but I've been like you preparing for pregnancy for like five years. <laughs> So I've been, you know, thinking about my cycle and eating in a way that's most supportive for my body and that's most supportive for my hormones. And I'm always aware of it, that whatever I'm doing is impacting my body and impacting my egg cells so that if I, you know, was, and it's very unlikely, you know, when you track your cycle and it's so ingrained, but if I was to fall pregnant as a surprise, I wouldn't be like, oh God, I should have been preparing. I'd be like, oh, I've already got a lot of time under my belt of, you know, behind the scenes preparing. And I think it's a great time to be mothering ourselves Mm, because all of that, that. yeah, all that care that you're putting into preparing for a baby is actually really taking care of yourself. And regardless of when a baby comes, you've put in all of this effort into actually nurturing your body and improving your health and your quality of life this whole time. So it's like regardless of the baby or not, you've just increased your health, happiness, like longevity, all of that as a byproduct. I love that so much, Lauren, mothering yourself. When I studied ancestral health, they were talking about mothers healing from pregnancy and the whole birthing, mothering, and they said it takes up to seven years ancestrally like they would plan so many you know years in in advance and they would say that from the moment that you conceive it takes seven years for the for a female body to fully come back to its Mm. optimal balance to be like boom i'm ready to give everything to having another child Mm -hmm. um whereas women this comes back to the whole having babies a little bit later in life in your 30s maybe even your 40s is that you don't have a lot of time on your side. Mm-hmm. So you have the kids quite quickly. Like my mom had three children under the age of four. Wow. I was like, mom, you should have stopped at the first one, the <laughs> best one. But no, you got greedy and had to keep trying to make more of me. And now you're stuck with others that aren't like me. <laughs> I tease her about this all the time. Um, but, you know, then that impacts the health of the the, the, fe- the, the mom, the female on the second pregnancy. If you're doing that, if you're having the kids a year and a half or two years apart. And then again, on the third pregnancy, if you're having them another, like another two years apart and it's like every three kids in six years. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, so I see some women that have fallen pregnant three months after they've given birth. I've heard about this too. You know? I, I know some people. Yeah. So it's like, you know, these things happen. Sometimes it's deliberate. Sometimes it's not, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's very, it's a huge demand on the woman's body and then it can mm. impact the health of subs- subsequent kids. Mm. So give yourself time. Don't rush that. Totally. All right. Let's, I have two final questions for you. The first one is what are your top three tips that a woman can start implementing today if she's just come off the pill or is planning to come off the pill to plan for preconception? Okay. I would say, get a period tracking app, <laughs> start tracking everything that you're noticing. So your period may not return straight away, but start 
paying attention to any signs that you see. So pay attention to your cervical fluid. If you're interested in tracking your temperature as well, so that you know when that first ovulation has started and when you should expect your next period, which gives you so much information, you can totally do that. Mm-hmm. But just start paying attention to how you feel. Like pay attention if your energy is increasing post-pill or if your digestion's changing or if you're getting breast tenderness or if you're getting any skin changes. All of these types of things are really normal and somewhat expected post-pill. And we want to try and make sure you have a smooth transition off. So start noticing everything. (laughs) Everything. Everything. And I would recommend most people, if you haven't had a period or any type of bleed three months after you've stopped hormonal contraception, then I would try and get some support from someone whether that's naturopath or a functional medicine practitioner or a Chinese medicine practitioner, it would be good to start investigating just where things are sitting and where your body is at. And if you need any extra support or if your body's still just doing its thing, I think it's good to be proactive sooner rather than later. Um, What else? I mean, sleep is amazing. (laughs) And sleep has a huge impact on our ovulation. So I'll be making sure that you're getting your circadian rhythm regulated. So you're going to sleep, um, you know, at a good time, like a few hours, like ideally around 10 o'clock, if not a little bit earlier, and you're avoiding screens before bed so that your melatonin can secrete properly because that has a massive impact on the timing of our ovulation. So we need to get sleep under control and then we need to look at diet because I always think post-pill, We need to be flooding this woman's system with nutrients right now because it's likely that she's come off the pill depleted, whether she knows it or not. And then we need to just nourish, nourish, nourish. So diet is really important post-pill as well. They're fantastic. Um, I was just typing out some notes. Wow. Okay. I hope everyone who's listening to this has been writing these down because we've got so much juicy stuff in here. All right. Last question um, as we wrap up is... Lauren, what are your, this is another top three, but what are your top three tips or things that you wish you knew as your younger menstruating self? So think back to when you started menstruating, what are three things you wish you knew then that you now know today? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I knew what a normal cycle was. So I wish I knew what just like normal, healthy cycle parameters were. So I had something to base off my experience with mm-hmm. because I've, I've been someone that has struggled with period pain over the years, like quite severe. And I have endometriosis in my family. So it's always something that I'm really mindful of that that's a, a spot for me that I really need to take care of and be on top of. And if my diet and lifestyle isn't hundred percent, cause no one's is all of the time, mm-hmm. then the pain is what will come up for me. So that's my really good, like, warning flag if things are out of whack so but back in the day it would have been great to know that that wasn't normal (laughs) and that I could have started focusing on it then so just knowing what a normal period and normal cycle looks like would have been great knowledge Um, and then knowing what the pill did because I was one of those like responsible sallies that was like okay because I didn't take it for symptom management I took it purely for contraception so I was like okay first boyfriend we're going to have sex. Let's go in the pill straight away. I was like, I'm so so logical. Bang, 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 bang. I was like, this is just what's happening. I have to do this. And I thought I was like being a very responsible, you know, 17 year old, um, (laughs) just to give you all of that information. Um, but I didn't know what the hell it was doing. I just thought, you know, this is what everyone does. This is very responsible. I don't want to fall pregnant but I didn't know like the mechanism it was having or all of the repercussions it can have on the body at all. Um, So they're really good things to know about when you're a young menstruating lass, because, you know, don't beat myself up about it. Like it's happened, but you know, the more I learn and read about the pill, I'm like, wow, that would have been good to know before I took it. Mm. (laughs) But you know, these things happen, but I think, that's why I'm so passionate about educating women is it so they have all of this information ideally before they even start contraception or while they're on it and then they can make a choice for them. That's just more informed. Yeah. I love that too. Wow. 
Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much. Like this has been fantastic. I'm sure everyone listening to this has loved everything that we've shared. So many great topics and discussions, but for all the listeners, how can they find you? Like what is the best way for them to find you? The best place is on Instagram. I'm on Instagram a lot. So I'm just at Lauren Curtin on Instagram. And then you're always welcome to message me or reach out. And then I have a website, which is just laurencurtin.com. And that is where you'll find me. That's the easiest ways. And if you've loved this and you're thinking, I need someone like Lauren in my life, Lauren's currently not in her clinic because of COVID-19. But um, that opens up a great opportunity for surrendering and shifting and allowing and birthing, right? Mm -hmm. Birthing new things, mothering new things. Um, So if you would love to connect with Lauren and learn more about what she's offering online right now, um, head over to her Instagram, say hi, or drop her a message via her website. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Um, It's been really fantastic. It's been awesome. Thank you for having me. I love the conversation. Oh my God. I would so love to have you back to talk about more of these things. Absolutely. (laughs) Maybe this is what we'll do during our COVID-19 time. We'll just catch up with everybody and just record thousands of podcast episodes. Exactly. (laughs) Well, again, Lauren, thank you so much and um, stay safe, stay supported and connected during these times. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to every episode of the Well Women podcast. I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you got a lot out of it too, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app. This means together we can inspire, connect, and educate even more women. Now, is there a bestie, a sister, or a friend who you know may be frustrated and confused with their health? Are they ready to discover new aspects of themselves too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode Share it on your social media, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to their ears. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our bodies. And be sure to tag me in it too. Hashtag Well Women Podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.